Section 18 of Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in November 2014. Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume 3, The Great Explorers and Travellers of the Nineteenth Century, by Jules Verne. First Part, Chapter 3, The Oriental Scientific Movement and American Discoveries, 2. After this brief review of the labors of scholars in reference to the intellectual and social life of the Hindus, we must turn to those studies whose aim was a knowledge of the physical character of the country. One of the most surprising results obtained by the travels of Webb and Moorcroft was the extraordinary height attributed by them to the Himalaya mountains according to them their elevation exceeded that of the loftiest summits of the andes colonel colebrook had estimated the average height of the chain at twenty two thousand feet and even this would appear to be less than the reality webb measured yamunavatri one of the most remarkable peaks of the chain and estimated its height above the level of the plateau from which it raises as twenty thousand feet whilst the plateau in its turn is five thousand feet above the plain not satisfied however with what he looked upon as too perfunctory an estimate he measured with all possible mathematical accuracy the devalagiri or white mountain and ascertained its height to be no less than twenty seven thousand five hundred feet the most remarkable feature of the himalaya chain is the succession of these mountains the ranges of heights rising one above the other this gives a far more vivid impression of their loftiness than would one isolated peak rising from a plain and with its head lost among the clouds the calculations of webb and colebrook were soon verified by the mathematical observations of colonel crawford who measured eight of the highest peaks of the himalayas according to him the loftiest of all was tumulari situated near the frontiers of bhutan and tibet which attains to a height of thirty thousand feet above the sea level Results such as these, confirmed by the agreement of so many observers who could not surely all be wrong, took the scientific world by surprise. The chief objection urged was the fact that the snow line must in these districts be something like 30,000 feet above the sea level. It appeared, therefore, impossible to believe the assertion of all the explorers that the Himalayas were covered with forests of gigantic pines finally however actual personal observation upset theory in a second journey webb climbed the nitigot the loftiest peak in the world the height of which he fixed at sixteen thousand eight hundred fourteen feet and not only did he find no snow but even the rocks rising three hundred feet above it were quite free from snow in summer moreover the steep sides where breathing was difficult were clothed with magnificent forests of tapering pines and firs and wide-spreading cypress and cedar trees the high limits of perpetual snow on the himalaya mountains says desbro 
are justly ascribed by mr webb to the great elevation of the table-land or terrace from which these mountain peaks spring as the heat of our atmosphere is derived chiefly from the radiation of the earth's surface it follows that the temperature of any elevated point must be modified in a very important degree by the proximity and extent of the surrounding plains these observations seem satisfactorily to refute the objections made by certain savants respecting the great height of the himalaya mountains which may be therefore safely pronounced to be the loftiest mountain chain on the surface of the globe we must now refer briefly to an expedition in the latitudes already visited by webb and moorcroft the traveller fraser with neither the necessary instruments nor knowledge for measuring the lofty peaks he ascended was endowed with a great power of observation and his account of his journey is full of interest and here and there very amusing he visited the source of the jumna and at a height of more than twenty-five thousand feet he found numerous villages picturesquely perched on slopes carpeted with snow he then made his way to gangutri in spite of the opposition of his guides who represented the road thither as extremely dangerous declaring that it was swept by a pestilential wind which would deprive any traveller who ventured to expose himself to it of his senses the explorer however was more than rewarded for all his dangers and fatigues by the enjoyment he derived from the grandeur and magnificence of the views he obtained there is that says desborough coolly in reference to fraser's journey in the appearance of the himalaya range which every person who has seen them will allow to be peculiarly their own no other mountains that i have ever seen bear any resemblance to their character their summits shoot in the most fantastic and spiriting peaks to a height that astonishes and when viewed from an elevated situation almost induce the belief of an ocular deception we must now leave the peninsula of the ganges for that of arabia where we have to record the result of several interesting journeys that of captain sadler of the indian army claims the first rank sent by the governor of bombay in eighteen nineteen on an embassy to ibrahim pasha who was then at war with the Mahabis, that officer crossed the entire peninsula from port el katif on the persian gulf to yambo on the red sea unfortunately the interesting account of this crossing of arabia never before accomplished by a european has not been separately published but is buried in a book which it is almost impossible to obtain the transactions of the literary society of bombay at about the same time eighteen twenty one through eighteen twenty six the english government commissioned captains moresby and haynes of the naval service to make hydrographical surveys with a view to obtaining a complete chart of the coasts of arabia these surveys were to be the foundation of the first trustworthy map of the arabian peninsula we have now only to mention the two expeditions of the french naturalists Oche-Iloy in the country of oman and emile botta in yemen and to refer to the labours in reference to the idioms and antiquities of arabia of the french consul at jeddah fulgence fresnel 
he was the first in his letters on the history of the arabs before islamism published in eighteen thirty six to explain the himyarite or homeric language and to recognize that it resembles rather the early hebrew and syriac dialects than the arabic of the present day at the beginning of this volume we spoke of the explorations and archaeological and historical researches of seetzen and burckhardt in syria and palestine we have still to say a few words on an expedition the results of which were entirely geographical we refer to the journey of the bavarian naturalist heinrich schubert schubert was a devout catholic and an enthusiastic student and the melancholy scenery of the holy land with its wonderful legends and the lovely banks of the mysterious nile with its historic memories had for him an extraordinary fascination in his account of his journey we find the deep impressions of the believer combined with the scientific observations of the naturalist in eighteen thirty seven schubert having crossed lower egypt and the peninsula of sinai entered the holy land the learned bavarian pilgrim was accompanied by two friends dr erdl and martin bernatz a painter the travellers landed at al akaba on the red sea and went with a small arab caravan to el khalil the ancient hebron the route they followed had never before been trodden by a european it led through a wide flat valley terminating at the dead sea a valley through which the waters of the dead sea were supposed at one time to have flowed towards the red sea this hypothesis was shared by burckhardt and many others who had only seen the district from a distance and who attributed the cessation of the drainage to an upheaval of the soil the heights as taken by the travellers showed this hypothesis to be altogether erroneous in fact from the lower end of the persian gulf the country presents a continuous ascent for two or three days march to the point called by the arabs the saddle from thence it begins to sink and slopes down towards the dead sea the saddle is about two thousand one hundred feet above the sea level at least that was the estimate given a year later by count Bertou, a frenchman who visited those localities at that time on their way down to the bituminous lake schubert and his companions took some other barometrical observations and were very much surprised to find their instrument marking ninety-one feet below the red sea the levels gradually decreasing in height as they advanced at first they thought there must be some mistake but finally the evidence was too strong for them and it became proved beyond a doubt that the dead sea could never have emptied its waters into the red sea for the very excellent reason that the level of the former is very much lower than that of the latter the depression of the dead sea is very much more noticeable when jericho is approached from jerusalem in that case the way lies through a long valley with a very rapid slope all the more remarkable as the hilly plains of judea perea and el haran are very lofty the latter rising to a height of nearly three thousand feet above the sea level 
the appearance of the country and the testimony of the instruments were in such contradiction to the prevalent belief that messrs erdl and schubert were very unwilling to accept the results obtained which they attributed to their barometer being out of order and to a sudden disturbance of the atmosphere but on their way back to jerusalem the barometer returned to the mean height it had registered before they had started for jericho there was nothing for it then but to admit whether they liked it or not that the dead sea was at least six hundred feet below the level of the mediterranean an estimate as later researches showed which fell one half short of the truth this it will be admitted was a fortunate rectification which would have considerable influence by calling the attention of savants to a phenomenon which was soon to be verified by other explorers at the same time the survey of the basin of the dead sea was completed and rectified in eighteen thirty eight two american missionaries edward robinson and eli smith gave quite a new impulse to biblical geography they were the forerunners of that phalanx of naturalists historians archaeologists and engineers who under the patronage or in conjunction with the english exploration society were soon to explore the land of the patriarchs from end to end making maps of it and achieving discoveries which threw a new light on the history of the ancient peoples who by turns were possessors of this corner of the mediterranean basin but it was not only the holy land so interesting on account of the many associations it has for every christian which was the scene of the researches of scholars and explorers asia minor was also soon to yield up her treasures to the curiosity of the learned world that country was visited by travellers in every direction parot visited armenia dubois de montpereux traversed the caucasus in eighteen thirty nine in eighteen twenty five and twenty six eichwald explored the shores of the caspian sea and lastly alexander von humboldt at the expense of the generous nicholas emperor of russia supplemented his intrepid work as a discoverer in the new world by an exploration of western asia and the ural mountains accompanied by the mineralogist gustave rose the naturalist ehrenberg well known for his travels in upper egypt and nubia and baron von helmersen an officer of engineers humboldt travelled through siberia visited the gold and platinum mines of the ural mountains and explored the caspian steppes and the altai chain to the frontiers of china these learned men divided the work humboldt taking astronomical magnetic and physical observations and examining the flora and fauna of the country while rose kept the journal of the expedition which he published in german between eighteen thirty seven and eighteen forty two although the explorers travelled very rapidly at the rate of no less than eleven thousand five hundred miles in nine months the scientific results of their journey were considerable in a first publication which appeared in paris in eighteen thirty eight humboldt treated only the climatology and geology of asia but this fragmentary account was succeeded in eighteen forty three by his great work called central asia in this says la roquette 
he has laid down and systematized the principal scientific results of his expedition in asia and has recorded some ingenuous speculation as to the shape of the continents and the configuration of the mountains of tartary giving special attention to the vast depression which stretches from the north of europe to the centre of asia beyond the caspian sea and the ural river End of section 18